You are listening to the Sunday Sauce Podcast. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. Another interview with the Sunday Sauce Podcast, boys. This one hits home for me. Today's guest is Mike Ham. Now, before I let him say any words, Coach Ham and I, as I call him, go back to my college days. We had the pleasure of playing for him at St. John Fisher College. He was the pitching coach for our World Series bound team. So he's part of the St. John Fisher history. He was also a pitcher in college. And now he's not too far away from me in New Jersey, working in title insurance, has his own podcast that he's killing it with called The Morning Spotlight. He's showing Joey and I up with this green screen he has in the background. We'll make sure to post on social media. But Coach Ham, how are you, sir? We appreciate you coming on. I'm doing great. It's it's awesome to be on. And like Frank, obviously, we go way back. And Joey, we literally just met like right now. Just met. But I have a feeling we're going to get to know each other really well over the course of this conversation. So I'm super pumped to be here. You know, Sunday sauce, baby. But this is a Thursday episode, but Sunday sauce. So I'm, I'm excited. I mean, I've been watching you guys since basically you started. And I think it's awesome what you guys have been doing and how much it's grown and everything. I feel a little bit weird that Frank's broadcasting from a bed but we're well, lazy okay. on us. Yeah, that's okay. But we're going to get through it. I mean, some people are just more comfortable that way. That's, that's cool. I mean, we're, yeah, I know. we just that. posted our 8,000, you know, brand new listeners and yeah. Frank, like he's letting go to his head. He's laying right. down. His yeah. Bed. He's coasting now. <laughs> you better watch out. Next thing you know, he's going to go do his own thing. Cause he's going to think that you guys, you know, there'll be a rift and they'll push you apart the whole thing. Yeah. 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 Disclaimer. I'm still in Florida. I'm, this is we're, we're interviewing coach ham on a, on a fine Tuesday night. So I'm flying back to, Rochester on Wednesday morning. This, this have already happened by the time you, you all listen to this and then driving back to Jersey. So I'll be back in the normal spot with the sauce pod banner behind me this weekend. But for the time being, we had to make do. We yeah. couldn't push off, couldn't push you off any longer. No, no. I, I, I felt like almost slighted to a, to a certain degree. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Very fair. Very fair. Um, but yeah, so as I mentioned, Coach Ham and I go back to the Fisher days and before we get into some questions we had and, and pumping your pod as well, we wanted to allow you the platform to give us a little backstory on, um, on your baseball career, coaching career, and now working in title insurance and grinding your ass off on the podcast as a whole. So we'd love to hear more about that. Okay. Uh, yeah. So there's a lot of different things to unpack there, but so, yeah, so I played college baseball at uh, the college of New Jersey. Um, so I graduated from there in 2012. Uh, I actually started in college at Franklin and Marshall college, then transferred to TCNJ, but TCNJ is, you know, where I feel like I'm most at home, uh, pitched there, uh, for my junior and senior year did pretty well. My senior year fireman of the year, 2012. Um, and, uh, Eventually, after that, after I graduated, had no idea what I wanted to do with life. Um, so I was a political science major. So I got a bachelor's degree in political science. And obviously, I've been using that quite a bit over the course of my entire career. Um, <laughs> so started, we didn't have a pitching coach at TCNJ the year that I graduated. Um, and then moved in and I was like, I went to the head coach. I said, hey, you know, I don't really know what I want to do. I had a semester to go to, to graduate. Um, you know, if you need a pitching coach, like I, I think I would be good at it. I'll give it a try. And so he gave me a try for the fall, kept me on for the spring. Then in the following year, I got a job at back at Franklin and Marshall College. So I was there for a year um, and then eventually got the job at Fisher, was there for two years, got my MBA, the whole thing. That was great. The World Series one was awesome. I'm sure we'll talk more about that at some point um, throughout the 
throughout the show. Um, and then graduated. And then I had two full-time assistant coaching job offers, but they weren't really what I wanted. They weren't really what I wanted to do. Uh, you know, moving forward, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. And I had a, I had an MBA, so I figured, you know, maybe I would try to use that. Got a job at indoor sports facility here in Jersey, did that for about eight months, wasn't a great fit. And then eventually got into the title insurance game. So I really went the complete 180 on the whole career path there. Um, but volunteered at Drew University here in right over here in Madison, uh, the season of 2018 to 19, I think it was. Um, so still trying to stay involved as much as I can with the game. Uh, you know, started the podcast last year, uh, just to kind of do something to do and a way to keep connected with clients and, and all that. So I've been doing it, uh, in its current form since July of 2020. So, um, yeah, that's a very broad strokes version of, of who Mike Ham is and how we got to be sitting here with the, the boys on the Sunday sauce pod. It's been quite the ride. I mean, if anyone's out there who can't relate, cause when you were just mentioning how you graduated, had no idea, basically not using your major. And that's really me to a T did all that felt the same way. But the day after college, I'm like, well, shit, I have no clue what tomorrow's going to entail, but we're going to let it ride, baby. Yeah. And hey, we're doing doing pretty good so far, I'd say. Yeah, right. I mean, like a political science degree, it's a great degree. I mean, I learned how to write, became a good writer, the whole thing. But like then after that, I mean, I had friends that went to law school. I knew I didn't want to go to law school. Both my parents went to law school and not that they discouraged it, but they were just more like, eh, you know, maybe you should try something else. And they, they didn't expect that to try something else was going to be baseball coaching. Um, <laughs> they were hoping that I would do something like, you know, split the atom or you know, become a rocket scientist or something like that. But <laughs> yeah. obviously we didn't go that route either. Um, so we started coaching and then, you know, now doing this, but you know, it's just, it's just crazy. Like to think about like all those decisions that you make over the course mm-hmm. of your life, get to where you are now. And I'm super happy with where I am now with, with a lot of different things. Um, but I wouldn't be here without making some of those early decisions, you know, so it's like the, the butterfly effect or whatever. I was just, I was just going to say that yeah. literally yeah. one thing leads into a thousand different other things Yeah, going on through life. But before I let you and Frank, go through the good old days about the Fisher run. I, I, I was listening to your story. I want to ask you a question about how, like, when, so if you're basically fresh out of college, got that job as a pitching coach, essentially, and then was there a challenge of trying to coach kids who are basically your age, in a sense? Like, was that challenging at first? Yeah. You know, it was even more challenging was I lived with four of the seniors on the team. Yeah. Like I'm not listening to this guy. Like I'm not listening <laughs> yeah, right. to what he yeah. says. <laughs> this idiot, you know? Um, but uh, like, I was just drinking beers with this guy the other day. Like I, why am I, all of a sudden he's going to be my coach. But I mean, mm-hmm. like the one thing that I, I think I did was able to do at least to a certain degree. Well, was I just like fully immersed myself in like what that, what that job entailed. So I was trying to learn as much as I could, you know, go into different coaching seminars, doing different things like that, just trying to like learn as much so that at least when I was able to talk to somebody, even though maybe I had just played with them the year prior, you know, a few mm-hmm. months prior and, you know, in, uh, in that case, um, I actually had like, I, I at least sounded like I knew what I was talking about. And I do think that there was some level of respect there too, because people that played with me saw that I did work hard and I was successful uh, to a certain degree, you know, throughout my career and that things worked for me. And, you know, like at least then you can kind of, you know, if you're talking about like pitching in a big spot, like, well, I was a closer of the entire year, my senior year, so that I can, you know, talk about like my approach to that. And I think that that's really important. You know, like, I think that you see a lot of, I mean, especially like in the major leagues now, you see like a lot of guys like with the Yankees, like he's, I mean, he seems like he did well last year, I guess. The pitching coach with the Yankees, I forget his name, Matt Blake, yeah. right? 
Mecklin. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah. but he's, but I, I, I'm not saying that this is bad. I mean, they obviously know what they're doing, but it's like a lot of very analytical driven, but then you lose like that. Okay. Like, you know, maybe uh, it's like bottom of the ninth, the bases are loaded and you got two outs. This guy's telling you what you should do, but he's never been there. Like he doesn't know like what that adrenaline right. rush is like, what the crowd sounds like, all that kind of stuff. And not that I'm comparing myself to that by any stretch of the imagination, but <laughs> I do think that there's something to be said for, you know, like a respect factor that you've been there before you've done it a certain way. Um, you know, and granted I was the, the biggest, the toughest part was like trying to maneuver, like not being at a party with all my friends so like i wound up bowling a right. lot because there was like a, a bowling and a bar down the street a buddy and i would go down there and like they would do their you know do their thing and then i'd come back at the end and go to bed but um but yeah so the, it was definitely a challenge but mm -hmm. because i lived with some guys that knew you know that i needed to do it a certain way like they were totally cool with that so um so yeah so challenge but we got over it right that's good i feel like college there's more leeway it's like okay we're all we're all kind of adults here let's let's try to act act apart a little bit but i can just picture back like me and frankie playing like high school uh high school baseball and like you know a senior will graduate and they'll come back try and like do like drills with you i'm like dude i'm better than you like what are you what are you, like, what are you, what are you, what are you gonna tell me it's like, yeah right right yeah well that, like, that was tough way too. better than you you should yeah. be coaching us right I and mean, that was tough too but even like i mean it's crazy to think like even when i got to fisher like I think when I started at Fisher, that was 2000, the fall of 2014. So I was still only 24 years old. So like I was still, I was not too far removed from some of those other guys. I think like Ryan Smith might've been older than me. You know what I mean? Like it was just like one of those situations <laughs> where it was like, you know, I just had guys on the team that, I mean, like I just needed to, like when I said, I mean, I'm 24, people were like, you're 24, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, maybe I'm just more mature than I let on, but um, it's the beard mostly. Uh, so it adds a couple of years, but yeah. I mean, it's just crazy, but you, you, ha you have to do it. I mean, if you want to be successful in that type of role, you just got to figure it out. Got to start somewhere. Yeah. I was, I was literally just going to bring up the maturity piece because that was the biggest part about it. There, there was twofold for me, at least from my perspective. And again, I wasn't a pitcher. So like I got to know you just from hearing your pitchers shit talk us at the plate and vice versa. But the maturity level that you had when you came in and especially because you didn't come from Fisher. So I think already we had to respect you as someone from outside the organization. We had to make sure we had to gauge your comfortability level, but you were, if you would have told me, Hey, this guy's only 24 years old. I would have said no chance. He's probably upper twenties, like low thirties. He's been doing this for a while. So you yeah. came in and we had a certain level of respect for you immediately. And I know the pitching staff from the closers down to the starters, the freshmen up to the seniors, like they, they loved you to death. And I think that was the biggest part about it. And I think along with the maturity, you were still young enough to relate to them you know yeah. in any age that that was a very very important part um and that that you're the way you came in helped us because we had a, a great core that year i think it, it varies year to year in college like you can go from being the best core you could possibly have one year and the next year even still having some of the guys but it's just not the same yeah and i think from from the youngest kid on the team to every single coach we had just such a great core that year the world series year specifically right and I think that the maturity piece that you had while still being able to be the young guy who understood us was like, that was the perfect mesh. So that's a little, that's a little kudos to you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. We could, we could just <laughs> do like you, a love fest this whole episode. <laughs> yeah. That's great. But I, <laughs> that's I do how think, we do it here. Yeah. That's no, I love it. it. Yeah. All right, my turn. Great. Do me, yeah. do me Frank. Yeah. yeah. You <laughs> right now, Joey. And then, I'll, then we'll do Frank. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Joe, I did a podcast with you there. Yeah. Spend time with you a couple hours a week on zoom. Yeah. <laughs> well, I do think it was cool. Like, you know, like working, working there and everything, like really, like when I first started, I mean, maybe the first couple of practices Potter kind of like, let me do 
you know, he would kind of like watch me kind of see like what I was doing and if I fit like what he was trying to do. And then the, the best thing that ever happened between the two of us was that like, he just kind of like, let me go. He was just like, you know what you're doing. And so just go do it. And that was a huge thing for him because, you know, I mean, like say what you want about the guy, but the guy can coach and the guy and I, we worked really well together and um, you know, it was just a great fit, I think. So he just kind of like, let me go, let me do my thing. And he had a lot of trust in me, which I thought was, was great. For sure. Um, I, I did also want to go back to your career pivot real quick, because we do have a lot of young listeners that are either kind of just getting out of college or young professionals that are in the working world now, unsure if they want to stay in their role, unsure about a pivot. And my, my question to you that I want you to enlighten us on more is like, how was that mentally for you? Because you went from an MBA grad assistant coaching baseball to a completely different world. And like that, that takes a lot of mental fortitude so just hearing it from from someone else like yourself would be huge for the people that are listening that are thinking of a pivot or just uncertain about what they want to do in their career next yeah yeah um so that was tough i mean because like i i felt like i was continuing to grow in that role as a coach right so like i you know my first year at tcnj like pitching staff numbers were not great next year at fnm it was like the same thing like the numbers weren't great but then i just like kept getting better and i knew that i was getting better as a coach um, but then the, the point came and it like coincided perfectly. So I had just turned 26. I finished the MBA. So now I have to figure out, you know, how I'm going to pay for health insurance. I can't be on my parents plan anymore. I have to, it's real world stuff. It's like, a, we're going to be an adult now. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, like I, I had the option, like I mentioned before, like there was a couple schools that, you know, had talked to me about coming in and, and doing some stuff there because obviously Fisher wasn't going to be an option because there was no more grad assistant job there, or at least for me, cause I had just finished my bent, my master's. Um, so I thought that I wanted to try to combine the two baseball and business type thing and, and use that degree because I had worked hard to get there to get it. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, where I wound up, cause I, I had moved back home. I hit the re- reset button on life basically. So I, I had been living on uh, a friend of mine's floor in a living room in Rochester, uh, Damon's floor actually for like three months. So like, not that I was homeless per se, but like Mm -hmm. I was living on an air mattress on his living room floor (laughs) and the job search was not going well up there. People in Rochester, for whatever reason, were like, you're from New Jersey. Why would you want to stay in Rochester? And I'm like, well, I like it. It's nice up here. I I think I fit in. Um, And it just like, wasn't working. So then I moved back home. It was around the holidays. um, And uh, you know, we're just looking for something to do. Didn't want to do like holiday help at Macy's or whatever. So I reached out to a local indoor sports facility. It was like, Hey, I can do some lessons. I'm a college baseball coach, but doing it for like four years, I guess, to that point. Um, and they looked at my resume and they're like, well, you're a college baseball coach with an MBA. Do you want to run our operations? Like, you know, run the business. And I was like, yes. So we'll full-time job, you know, was going to pay a little bit more than what the coaching jobs were. And I thought that was going to be a perfect fit. Um, and it wasn't, you know, it just like for a lot of reasons, it wasn't a great fit. Um, and my dad actually, uh, I was living at home, saw that I was miserable and he's been working in the title insurance industry for like 35 years, knew that we needed salespeople at the company that I work for now. And he was like, Hey, he's like, I know you're miserable at this job. If you want, I can help you out, get you an interview with the company that, you know, we both work for now. Um, you see if you like it and you see if it's a good fit and if it is great, if not, then you go do something else. And um, I was like, screw it. Like I w- at that point, I was just in a place where I would have done any other job, like 
clean porta potties. Cool. I just want to do something else, you know? <laughs> um, and so I did, I did. So I took the interview, I got the job and then started. And it really wasn't like a position where I was like given like a lot of leads or anything like that, because for anybody that doesn't know anything about title insurance, it doesn't matter what company you go to, you're going to get charged the exact same price for the exact same product because it's all regulated. So it's all built on relationships and service. So my dad's been in the industry for a long time, was calling a lot of the people that he knew through his time doing it, but they were all saying the same thing. Like I've used the same guy for 25 years. I'm not going to just switch. And like at the beginning, I was just like, shit, like I, I have, I've got nothing here, you know? And like, I got like one deal and I was so pumped up. And like, I think the premium on it was like 700 bucks. I was just pumped that like it, my end of the year number was not going to be zero. Yeah. <laughs> And so like, that was really tough because like, I just didn't know, like, you know, it was this going to be what I wanted and like what, how I was going to like grow in it. Um, you know, I, I had some, some mentors and stuff that surrounded me like, uh, at that company, but you know, he had introduced me to some other sales guys, like big time sales guys in New York city and, and some other places. And just like talking to them and kind of like learning how to approach the industry itself and how to approach getting clients and, and all that. Um, you know, once I started listening to them more then I felt a lot better, um, but it was really kind of like, you know, not, I want, I don't want to say back was against the wall, but it was like, I just need to make a decision. You know, like it was, it became very black and white and it was like, I could either keep doing this job, you know, at the, in the indoor sports facility that I'm miserable at, or just go do something else and try it. And if it doesn't work, I know I can get out of that too and go try something else. So, you know, I was still young enough that I could do that. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I'm not going to leave anytime soon, but like, I still am, you know, like there's, there's never a bad opportunity to just like try something. If you think that you're going to be interested in it or like good at it or anything, like you just like want to change, like, just go do it. Like what's, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? Um, you know, obviously there could be bad things, but, uh, but for me, it was just, a, it was just a matter of like, you know, I saw that the role that I was in at that point in time, wasn't a good fit, needed something else. And that just kind of fell in my lap and I tried it and I liked it eventually. Um, and now here we are, I'm three and a half years into this job and doing well and, you know, making money and I like it. There you go, man. And to your point, like mentioning how, like, you know, like if you do decide to do one thing and bad things could happen, I think it's really just a matter of like outweighing, like, okay, like if worst case does happen, like how bad is it actually going to be? Cause like, I think when you're out, when you're like in like out of college to like, I think even approaching 30, I almost think having a plan B can kind of bite you in the ass. Like, I think if you just go all in, like, Hey, I want to try this one thing. I want to put all my efforts. I want to have like the shadow of a doubt in the back of my head. Okay. If I fail at this, I can do this. Like, I feel like have almost not having a plan B earlier on in your career almost pushes you to like, okay, I, I have to be good at this. And if you are good at it, probably going to like it. And then you might even find like, find your career. So yeah. And when you mentioned like, yeah, okay, if, if I do this, it doesn't work out you know, it might be, it might suck, but like, you know, how bad is it actually going to suck? Like outweigh that with the pros and cons and then just, just go for it. I mean, my job now, I left, I left upstate New York. I moved to Boston. I didn't know really a lick about the job that I do now two years ago. Um, but you now again, two years in doing very well, love the job. And I'm probably going to be doing this kind of job for the rest of my life. And I, yeah, from what I used to do back home, I, I have zero complaints about that. So I think it's a good point you made. Yeah. Well, it's just like one of those things, like, you know, I mean, I don't make it, I don't want it to seem like I, you know, the plan B thing wasn't there, but like once, especially with right. this, with, with this job, it was like, I think at the beginning I was very like wishy-washy on it. Like I was just like, eh, it's just like the next job and then we'll see right. what happens. And like, if you do that, 
you're not going to be good at anything. Like I was like mm -hmm. looking at, you know, maybe I could do lessons or, you know, like fill my time up because I didn't really have any clients. I wasn't going to any meetings. I didn't have any deals. So like, I was like, yeah, maybe I can go do like some lessons over here in Randolph or go do this over here, over here. And like that, it's like the, the parks and rec, like Ron Swanson says, like, don't half-ass two things, like whole ass one yeah. thing. And like, once I was like, mm -hmm. screw it, this is the job that I'm in. Like, I just need to like go for it. And then I figured out a plan, like who I was going to try to uh, target as far as clients went, you know, young attorneys at big law firms, boom, the whole thing totally changed. Started running networking events. Things changed again, started a podcast, things changed again. So that the more it seems like I immerse myself into this life, the better things get for me. So you just got to just go like literally all in and just go at a hundred miles an hour all the time. So yeah, dude. Um, yeah, that's the only way to do it for sure. Also work smarter and not harder. You literally just, you're young, you're new in your, in your field. You're, you're attacking somebody who's also young and new in their fields. And by the time when we're all, when we're all old and washed up, you'll be the guy with all the clients. Like, yeah. no one can get, and no one can get your stuff. Right. And then the new guys get to figure out how the hell am I going to do this now? Yeah. Right. It's all, it's it's all, it's all a cycle. <laughs> yeah. The grow together thing. And like loyalty yeah. is really important. So like sure. all, and all those, you know, older guys that I was calling on at the beginning, like I respect that, like they're loyal to the person that they've been using for so yeah. long and that's cool, you know, but like, I want the guys or the clients that I have now to be that same phone call. Like you said, 20 years from now, and they're like, Oh no, no, Mike's my guy. You know, like mm -hmm. that's what I want. So that's, that's really important to me. And, you know, I think, I think we're moving in the right direction. we got some time to get to 20 nice. years, but we'll get there eventually. Yeah. I, I don't want to, but unfortunately no. we all. Yeah. Will. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have one more point too, to make off that coach ham. And it's like the fact that like, when you do graduate in college, even a couple years after you think you have to have it all figured out by the time you're like late twenties, 30. Cause like the stigma was when our parents are growing up, it's like married by 24 kids by 25, 26, like, you got to have it all figured out when like, it's just, it's just not the same anymore. Like you have yeah. so much more time, so many more resources. You can take more chances. Like that's the, that's just the way it is now. Not everyone stays in their hometown, gets married, has the kids by 25. Like right. there's so many people just branching out now. Yeah. And just, just to your point, like you're now at 30 and you're just like realizing, Hey, I really enjoy this and I want to run with it. And yeah. it took you those five, six, seven, eight years before then to grind, fail a little bit, realize you didn't, want to do some things but if you didn't go through that you would have had no idea so to joey's point like in your point immersing yourself fully into it and knowing hey if it doesn't work like it's not the end of the world i'm not dying yeah. i'm I betting on myself and I'm, I'm gonna roll with what, what's next so yeah right that's huge yeah absolutely i mean i think like i mean i just had a really good point but i forgot what i was gonna be what i was gonna say but <laughs> um yeah i mean that's that's what it is i mean like i think like the more you do that the better you get at it and like you said like, nobody's gonna die like it's just you know you just gotta go for it so, um, I'll, I'm going to think about it. Like, I'm going to remember what I was going to yeah, say. I'm a great guest, aren't I? So, um, yeah, you're solid. You but no, yeah, I, I do, I, I do want to hear, I kind of want to be the audience. I, I do want to hear you guys just talk about, cause I remember I was, I felt like I was part of your guys Fisher team. Cause I was back when I was, I was going to queues when Frank and you were at, were at Fisher. So I would often come home and like party with the boys after a big win. So I was only like an hour away. So I feel like I was part of that team. I knew like, I'm boys with like half of that senior class that Frank's in. Um, so I do want to kind of sit back and hear you guys just shoot the shit about the good old days for a second. I, I feel like that run, like you guys came out of absolutely nowhere. Like I feel like no one would ever have thought like going to that year, like, okay, St. John Fisher's going to be, you know, top, top 10, top eight team in, in all of baseball for your division. Like, like no one would have thought that. So the fact that it happened, 
it was very fun to watch. I want to hear it from the, from the horse's mouth from YouTube a little more. Cause I didn't, I never really got like the full story. I watched all the games, but I never got like the behind the scenes. Like, like how the hell was that team built to do what it did? Uh, Frank, you want to start? Yeah, no, I definitely can. So, yeah. So you, Coach Ham, you came in our, my sophomore year, right? The year yes. before the world series. Okay. So yeah. my, fr- my freshman year was when um, we had a really solid senior class. It was like Mike Faye, Brad Rush, we had Roder, uh, Tim Koykendall. We had like a whole squad of really solid, or David Locke, really solid, like big brothers to us freshmen. And we didn't make a regional that year because we dropped some games late in the season to, to teams we shouldn't have. And our strength schedule just wasn't good enough to drop those games. Like we had a hell of a record. We were like, I don't know, like 28 and 10 or like 30 and 10 or something. Some crazy good record. But it left a sour taste in our mouth. And there was our sophomore year, we went through uh, some speed bumps, maybe just like the way the cohesiveness of the team was, the leadership, like the play, myself included, that I couldn't pick up a ball to save my life after I worked my ass off freshman year to get to a starting position as a sophomore. So I guess it's a personal example. But um, then after that, it left an even saltier taste in our mouth going into our junior year, knowing like, hey, our freshman class, like we knew we could have made it. And sophomore year, like we still had some great talent, but it didn't work out. And then for whatever reason that, our junior year with the class we had in the class above us. So the class like us was like Evan Ryan came in, transferred in, which was a huge, a huge deal. We had yeah. Malcolm, we had Nate, we had Burge, we had Dom. And above us was like Cody Batorski, Joey Simmons, that whole crew. And like, Roman. we just Roman, we were just boys. Yeah. Um, and right. like that, that was the, the start of it. Like we spent an entire summer together. Fall ball was solid. Coach Ham Hardy had a year come in. So, like, he had his pitching staff under control. They respected the hell out of him. They knew what they had to do. We had Mark, obviously, who got drafted, Eisenhecker. And, like, that was the base of it was just, like, the as I mentioned earlier, like, the glue just so happened to not be an issue that year where all we had to focus on was winning baseball games. And, like, we went on, like, a 14 or 15-game win streak that year. And, like, it didn't matter what we were down at any point in the game, we did not think we were going to lose. And it paid off in the regional when we came back two or three times from down X amount of runs in the eighth. Like it was like the eighth inning each time we won our four straight regional games and won. Cause like, it just didn't matter when, where, who we were playing. We thought we were going to win. And if we lost, it was like a legit surprise. And then the next day we come back and just beat the shit out of the team because we were so pissed off that we lost. And yeah. I think those are the two things and you can keep going coach ham as well, but like the glue and just like expecting to win every single day and nothing else were like the two main like pillars of that season yeah I, I just think that like that team and i don't know like exactly how or why or whatever but just had like you know how like you, you see like a lot of coaches or like mental coaches and stuff like that and they're always talking about like a mindset type thing and like you know how to develop toughness like for whatever reason like this group overall was just like a really tough group you know like they were resilient so like even if we did <clears throat> excuse me, like lose a game to some shitbag team somewhere, you know, we were going to bounce back and, and take it to them maybe the next game, you know? And, um, you know, like, I mean, I always love to just like think back at like, and this is just me reminiscing because as a pitching guy, it was like so cool to lead the country in, in ERA for like a majority of that season. Like we, we crushed it with like the pitchers that we had, who were all really good. I mean, like, I just like always like to look back at like the starting rotation. Cause you had Terry, Stevie Lewis, Mark, and, uh, and Jim Dawson, all four were like amazing. 
And then you had like Dom pitching midweeks, which was great because I mean, Dom as a midweek starter was ridiculous. And then like the bullpen and like all those guys in the starting rotation all were like, you know, maybe with the exception of Stevie, but like hard throwers, like really great stuff, like all that kind of stuff. All different arm angles too. All different arm angles. Yeah. But then like you go to our bullpen, it was like Ryan Felsky, Lucas Brigham, Burgie, and like DJ, you know, and like all, all those guys were real different, but, and like, you know, Ryan, probably if he threw a ball at like a pane of glass, it probably wouldn't even break, you know? So it was just like, so cool because we just like, we we're just doing all like this crazy stuff. And I just like remember sitting in the bullpen, like watching, like, I was like, this is like the coolest staff I've ever been a part of. And like, I always would joke with Potter. I'm like, you know, like pitching staffs and teams tend to take on the personalities of their coaches. So like, they must be like me. You know, so I must be tough like them or really good like them, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. But it was just, I mean, it was just so much fun. Um, I don't know. I mean, like I can probably like pick out games that stood out, like the World Series game against uh, uh, Wisconsin uh, Whitewater. Whitewater, like yeah. ridiculous. Like after the big storm comes through, it's like one o'clock in the morning and we're playing them. We walk it off. It was just like, I mean, just to like look back on that whole season was just was crazy. I mean, I just had I just had a blast. And like I. Yeah, I, that was the thing. It was a blast. And like. <laughs> speaking of like player coaches like yourself, like we had Dave Locke come back. He was again, a senior when I was a freshman, he came back and helped coach and had the same impact that Ham had on the pitching staff. Coach Locke had, I can't can't even call him coach Locke. Dave had with us (laughs) on the offensive side of the ball. Like we just gelled so well, like practice every day was a party and it was, it was competitive. Like we had no qualms about talking shit to each other, like pitcher to hitter, hitter to pitcher. Like, we had this cage in the big field house at Fisher, but it was big enough for us to, to like throw live in. Um, and the pitchers would sit behind like the, the mound with coach ham. And then the rest of us with coach lock would sit like all the hitters behind home plate. And we would just like nonstop, just like, yeah. Sh- because every time one of them would hit like a ground ball, they'd be like, Oh my God, I smoked that thing. And it's like, <laughs> dude, that was a ground ball to shortstop. So like I was talking just as much shit as anybody else, like in that group, but I mean that, but that's what it was. I mean, you're absolutely right. Like that's where the competitiveness started and it's hard, especially playing baseball at a school, like up like that in Rochester, where mm-hmm. you can't get outside before you get to, uh, right. Florida, most likely we had so, to create our it, own competitiveness. Yeah. yeah. And like to, to practice in a gym for like weeks on end gets nauseating to a certain degree. And oh, like, yeah. it just, you know, cause what do you do? Like you, you hit ground balls on like a, on a rock hard floor or like you take BP in a cage, you can't actually see the ball, like travel. You're throwing a bullpen on a plastic mound. Like none of that's real. I mean, it's real to a certain degree, but like, it doesn't give you like the same rush that actually doing it, just throwing a bullpen in an actual bullpen would, you know what I mean? So that was like the coolest part of like the whole practice, you know, it was just like sitting in that cage and, you know, like watching that and talking my own shit and like the whole thing. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that that was, that was probably like, I mean, I granted the season itself was a lot of fun, but just looking back at that, like I always thought that was like the coolest thing because it was, you know, like we were just like, I'm sure I said something to Frank at some point, you know, I'm yeah, sure he got probably. pissed off at me. And I don't really care. It, <laughs> it just got yeah. everybody better. You know, it wasn't personal either. It was just no. like, you know, it was the way it was. And it was, it was almost as much like, I'm not sure if you saw that, that video that recently came out of Nick Saban, like in his recruiting pitch and basically saying like the dudes you're going to face here at Bama in practice are going to be better than the dudes you're going to face in the game. And that's yeah. how it was. Like our pitching staff was so filthy. No one against facing us was better than who we would play in oh. practice essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well. That's why it was also huge for us as a hitting squad. Like the pitching staff was so nasty that we had that no one else we were in face would be better. Yeah. And it was just so cool because like, you know, even on the other side, like you go through like that lineup where you had guys like you and Scotty and 
you know, I mean, you could just like go up and down the line. I mean, like all different kinds of hitters and like all really good in their own way. And just being able to actually like compete at that level, like all the time. And that was like one of the things that I loved about the way that we practiced. It was like day one, we go live. So you better be ready. And if you're not ready, you're going to fall down that pecking order. And that's just the way that it is. It's nothing personal. And yeah, I remember like we used to post, like uh, I would post the, um, the depth chart of the pitching staff. And I'm like, you know, it's nothing personal. It's just, if you want to be higher on the depth chart, pitch better, throw better bullpens, you know, do better in the live stuff, you know? And it was just, that, that was the way that it was. And nobody, I don't think anybody took it personal. I mean, I'm apologize if they did, but that was just the, the way that I was able to actually like convey like my thoughts on what was going on. And, um, you know, once we got to game time, like that's, that's who we rolled out, you know, and that's, it seemed to work. So, um, I was happy about that. So that was good. Yeah. Well, obviously it worked. And yeah. to your point, I guess, like, you know, day one, you're live. Like, I mean, again, I, I grew up playing ball with Frankie upstate. It's like, you don't get outside until like May, basically. It's like, like a hard, hardwood floor, gym, basketball court, ground balls. Only can, only can do you so much. Like there's no, there's no bad hops. You can't get a good read in the ball. It's like, we had no time to waste. Like if you're slacking, you're looking, you're left behind. That's kind of how it was for us too in high school. It's like, yeah, you're either here to play or like, it, it, we have no time to figure out, you know, who can hang and who can. Cause only, you only get like so many days to even get on the field before the year starts. But yeah, I love, I love hearing about that. Cause again, I was very close to the, again, most of the guys in Frankie's class and, yeah. and above it. So, you know, it was, was also, uh, also really cool about that yeah. season. And sorry, this just popped into my head. I already lost my original thoughts. So I was going to, I don't want to miss this one. Don't like, lose it. The guys that we beat, like the pitchers that we beat, like, you know how it was like one of the most frustrating things, like when I was working at the indoor sports facility was how people poo poo division three baseball. But if you look back at like that team that we had, we could be at least 50, I don't know, maybe 25% of division one baseball teams. Uh, that's like a low number, probably more. Um, and then you start looking at like some of the guys that we played against and that was on, that were on our team, obviously like markets drafted, right. 28th yeah. round by the Rangers. I think it was 28. And, um, and then like the, the kid from Haverford, I mean, he got drafted in the eighth round, the kid we, we teed beat off on him, teed we off teed on off him. And him. he's like, you know, like a low nineties guy, like just, I mean, he's supposed to be like this hot shot pitcher beat him. And then when we get to the world series, the, the kid that we faced against whitewater, he went like the fifth round. He was throwing like 95 miles an hour. It's like one o'clock in the morning. And like, we've been sitting at the stadium for like all day. Like if people actually were to sit down and like actually watch one of those games and be like, Holy shit. Like this is yeah. actually like high level baseball. And it's like, you know, you could talk about it's division three and whatever. And like, I remember talking to parents like, Oh, like I don't, my son's going to go division one. Like I, I, he's going to go division one. I'm like, do you realize like how good some of these kids that division three level are? I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, like some of those kids that we played against were awesome. Some of the kids that were on our team were also awesome, you know, and like could go, can go and play at any other school that they want. It was just a good fit at Fisher or whitewater or wherever. Um, but, uh, but that was just my two cents. It was just like, just watching the, the level of play that we had for, over the course of the entire year and who we played against was just incredible. Yeah, dude. And to your point, we just had, uh, we actually recently had John Horford. He played basketball in Michigan and Florida on Al Horford's brother. And he was basically saying how he's, he's getting heavy into coaching now too and drills for developing young players to go play college basketball. And he was saying, he's like, there are, there isn't, there are absolute dogs, D1, D2, D3. For some reason, some kids just get overlooked. Maybe they're not in like a high populated town or area doesn't get any recruiting. Like you play college sports. Like there's a good chance. Like every team's going to have an absolute monster that just fell through the cracks. That should be probably a, a tier two higher, yeah. but for some reason playing D one, but he's an absolute freak show. Right. 
So yeah, yeah it, it is always cool. And I feel like D3 does get a lot of slack. Like, I mean, yeah, some of the kids like, yeah, I mean, they're good, but they're not studs, but there are every now and again, you'll find a kid like, damn, that kid could easily play D1 without even trying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, that's like, wow. um, uh, Frank will know him, uh, Tommy Pasquale, like, you know him, right? Yeah. So like he came to our camp, like the camp that we ran at Fisher, just because he was interested in like some program that he went through academically, didn't play like a club ball, just played Legion ball in Binghamton or something. And he came and it was like, wow, this kid's actually like really good. And I think he was mm-hmm. an all American, at least one of the years that he was there. I mean, he was a really good player, you know? So like, just like this is an example, like a kid that just nobody really saw, nobody really knew about, um, but could play, you know? And there's plenty mm-hmm. of other examples like that, just to your point. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> love the good old days. Yeah, I love right. more, <laughs> more stories, always great. <laughs> so I want to get to your pod now. Um, you're killing it. I love listening. You have awesome guests for me personally. I'm um, looking to eventually get into real estate investing and you've had a ton of awesome, like very valuable guests for someone like myself, anyone else who just wants to learn about the business world. I'd love to hear a little more on like, and you touched upon it briefly with how it connects to your career, but like, what ultimately got you into this and has now propelled you to have a ton of content, like you're killing the content game. So walk us through like why you ultimately did this and then how important this content creation that you do is for your pod and your business as as a whole. Yeah. So um, I'll take you back to the very beginning, right? So like it started in March because COVID happened. I don't know if you were aware, but COVID started last year. (laughs) um, Yeah. Um, so COVID started and like I mentioned before, like my whole business, my whole job is to take people out for lunch, go to events, go out for drinks, go to dinner with people, you know, like just schmooze, right? March, everything shut down, can't schmooze. So we had like a, a March madness party scheduled, um, at, uh, a bar here in Morristown. We, like a friend of mine and I, that's, that works with a different company in environmental services. We run a March madness party every year. So we like rent out a space at a bar in Morristown, open bar for like three hours. We got the games on the TVs. Obviously that got canceled, but I had a background of like putting together events, um, whether it was like young professional events, real estate events, whatever they were. And I knew that I needed to do something. Like I was like this at first, it was like, maybe this is just going to be like a two week thing. It's going to go away and we'll get back to normal. You know, obviously that didn't happen because we're still doing it. And um, so I started running for some uh, virtual events. I was like, I just need to get something out there. You know what I mean? Like, cause people just need to talk to somebody and I need to talk to somebody. I can't fall off the face of the map. I just need people to remember who I am. So I started running virtual events every Tuesday night at five o'clock and you know, set one up on a Monday. Next day we ran it, had like 20 people show up. I was like, okay, this is workable. Did it for like 13 straight weeks. Uh, we would get 35 to 45 people every week, um, which was cool that we were able to keep it going for that long and get that level of engagement. Also super depressing that we had to do that. Um, but at the same time, like as I was doing that, I was also posting about those events on LinkedIn because that's where the majority of like my people are, like my, the people that I do business with, I network with, I have as clients, they're all on LinkedIn. You know, they're not predominantly on Instagram or Facebook or any other place like that, but they're professional. So they're on LinkedIn. So I always heard that video was a great way to get more engagement on that platform. So I put together the morning spotlight. So I was going to take people that I would network with and bring them on for like a five minute video interview that I would just upload to LinkedIn. That was it. Like that's the only place the show started. And I did that in May and I figured 
you know, like if I did it Monday through Friday at 9 a.m., like I would run out of content in like three or four weeks, but by then COVID should be over, right? And obviously that was wrong too. Um, but what wound up happening was like, people just kept coming out of the woodwork to come onto the show. So I was like, maybe I like, maybe I have something here. So I did 12 weeks um, straight. So 60 total episodes. Um, and I was, you know, doing the recording, the scheduling, the editing, sometimes the re-recording if the person just totally sucked and like needed to do it again. Um, they just like weren't happy with it. I always gave that option, which looking back was stupid, but I had to do it. Um, and it was like all very scripted. Like I would like write all the questions down. I had my intro written out, all the questions and my outro written out. And I would give the questions to them beforehand so that they could basically like prepare answers. And a lot of them would write the answers, you know, down. And I would put the Google Docs like here in the middle of my screen and basically like read it like a teleprompter. So it was like, if you look back on it, it's like a totally different show than what I have now. Um, but I wanted it to be more of my personality shining through. Like I wanted to get a green screen. I wanted to get a real mic and pretend like I'm Mike and the Mad Dog, you know, and like all that kind of stuff, get t-shirts made. Um, and then eventually transitioned it into what it is now. Uh, so that happened in about July. So I like, as I was winding down the original show, I was winding up this, spent like a week um, trying to figure out what I wanted to call it. Um, Cause I didn't think that morning spotlight was going to work for what I was trying to do. And eventually I was just like, screw it. I just spent three months building up this brand and people actually recognize and, you know, all that kind of stuff with the logo and the, and the music and, and everything. And I was just like, why would I change it? Like, let's just keep it the way it is and keep that as the brand. And we'll just roll into this new show as is. And, you know, at the beginning, the show itself was still somewhat uh, structured because I would have like the guests put together a Google Docs for me to kind of keep myself organized because originally it was all panel episodes. Uh, we would have like two, three, four people on a panel, which is hard to get every week. Um, but every Tuesday, we would post an episode on real estate or business or whatever, because um, we've done networking, we've done uh, marketing, some fringier things that are not directly related to real estate, but can be. Um, and then because I was doing the show, I also started just adding in some different people that I thought would just be interesting to talk to. So I've interviewed some professional athletes. I've done a mental health episode of health and fitness, couple of couple episodes like that, um, you know. Uh, Olympian. I mean, I have a country singer that I'm recording with on Thursday, just like some cool stuff because like, if I'm interested in it, maybe my audience is interested in it too, because looking at my demographics, the audience is somebody like me, like 25 to 35 male in the Northeast. So like, if I like it, maybe somebody else will like it. And um, that's been going since July. So I am now, I guess, 45 episodes in um, on today. The 16th was my 45th episode that I posted of that. So all together, I'm 105 episodes into the show. Um, but it's really, we eventually we got off the panel format. We went, just went down to like one-on-ones just because that's just way easier to manage. Um, so yeah, I mean, like for me, it's been a great opportunity to kind of get my personality out there more. It's been a great opportunity to get my voice out there more because it, like the original show was just them talking most of the time and just me reading questions um, like a drone, like anybody, any idiot can do that. Right. Um, you know, so now the show is just more engaging. It's more fun. I think like we have a lot of laughs. We kind of get into like the stories of, of how people got involved in real estate. Like we had a guy on last week. Um, he's, he lives in Omaha. He was like a world traveler before he started investing in multifamily real estate. Like when he was in Pakistan, he got offered to shoot a cow with a bazooka. And like, that was part of the story that we told because it was just like a cool right. way because like, Joey, you were talking about before about how, you know, like 
uh, to make that switch, right? Like I switched out of coaching into selling title insurance or, mm. you know, whatever it is. And a lot of the people that listen to the show, like, like Frank, you know, are interested in getting involved in real estate or, or, you know, investing in real estate, all that kind of stuff. And it's just so interesting to see like how certain people, depending on what they do in the real estate field, get to where they are. And, you know, like there's just a lot of different stories out there. And like, I think it's, it's, good because then you're able to, to kind of draw some connections between your guests and the audience, because I'm sure that there's somebody out there, maybe not the cow with the bazooka thing, but you know, like had a different job, was unhappy, needed something else, like wanted a passive income, whatever it is. And actually, you know, like you make that connection and then you can kind of roll with that. Um, you know, so like I have a lot of fun doing it. Um, you know, like I'm not slowing down. Like I'm actually like picking up and trying to do two episodes a week now um, because I just have a lot of fun you know, talking to these people. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's been, it's been quite a ride and got to, got to hear. So, and I'm really excited once we get back to in-person networking events more frequently now, uh, or yeah. soon, hopefully I'll be able to kind of combine this virtual podcasting world with that, because I've been able to have some people real estate wise on the show that I otherwise would not be able to go talk to in the real world, because maybe they're too above my station. Maybe they're too experienced. Maybe they're too whatever. But next thing you know, I offer them an opportunity to come on the show and talk to my audience about whatever it is. I don't care. 1031 exchanges, real estate taxes. Like who the hell wants to talk about that? But people do, you know, and like people want to have that platform to basically like a 45 minutes full of free marketing. And, um, you know, now I can go up to that person at an event, talk to him or her, and then they can introduce me to their three or four well-established friends. And then hopefully eventually that leads to more business. So I don't make any money off the podcast. I just use it as a networking and marketing tool. Um, and it seems as though it's working. Um, you know, I'm just excited as to kind of continue to grow the show and, and get my name out there more and all that to kind of see where it goes from there. For sure, bro. And for the whole money part, I mean, obviously me and Frank don't make much on this podcast either. Again, hardly anything, but it's really cool. And it's I'm like, honestly, to me, it's almost worth more than money. It's like see, seeing the show grow. It's like, damn, people are actually listening to this stupid thing. The fact that anyone puts in headphones or turns their phone on speakerphone and listens to me and Frank talk for an hour is baffling. And I love each and every yeah. one of them. Like the fact that like, if we get just like one more listener from like the previous episode, that to me is like, damn, how the hell is any of this happening? Yeah. But so it is really fun. And like, I know podcasting now, it seems almost like corny, but like, it is really fun. And to your point about how like, you started doing two weeks, hey, it's fun as shit. I'm going to yeah. do more of them. Right. And Frank, hey, let's do a football show. Let's do a pick on like, just like try and do as much as you possibly can. Like, hey, if you don't want to listen to it, fine, but we're going to do it. Cause it is fun as hell. Yeah. You know, like, and I spend, like, we were talking about Clubhouse a little bit before we started. I spend a lot of time on there and like people on that platform are like, there's a lot of them that are just trying to start a podcast or new to podcasting or whatever. And they get super frustrated that they maybe only get like 15 listens to an episode. And like, I mean, early on, I mean, I get a little bit more than that now, but you know, early on, if I got like 50 episodes or 50 listens to an episode, I was like, man, that's like not a lot because like Joe Rogan gets like a million you know, or whatever number he gets, you know, and, but, but then all of a sudden you think about it and you take like 50 people and you put them in a room, like 50, 50 people that listen to your podcast, you put them in a room. That's a lot of people, you know? Yes. So like, even though it doesn't seem like it's that big, it's still connecting to a lot of people. And that the more you get it out there and the more you're able to give quality guests like Mike Ham on the sauce pod and, you know, people <laughs> like that, next thing you know, it just like continues to kind of snowball and grow and I think that that's just, you know, awesome. And like, you know, I'm really excited, like I said, to kind of keep it, keep it growing, keep talking to cool people, um, you know, people that I, like I said, otherwise wouldn't be able to talk to without this. So this has just been great. 
And you made a point that me and Frank and I have had the epiphany. If we're ever getting like, 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 like quote unquote, like down, like, we don't ever get like depressed over the pod, but it's like, you want to see the episode do good, obviously, um, and get views. But like, if it's one that we thought was going to hit and didn't hit like as big, we're like, damn, like it only got like X number of views. Like, we're like, all right, like, take, like deep breath, take a step back. That was still like, like yeah, that's to your point. Imagine that many people who listen, who listen to the podcast, put them in one single room. It's like, that's a lot of people. Like, yeah. you know, if you go like, you get, that's a lot of people. Right. And the question I get most often, like people are like, Oh, I, I want to do a podcast. You know, how I do it. Is it hard to edit it? Yada, yada, yada. And the question I always get is how many listeners like, should I be getting? And I'm like, dude, I go, I, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Like, what are you going to, what are you going to talk about? Right. Like, what do you like? I like, do the, do whatever the hell you want. And if they listen, they listen. And if they don't, it's like, okay, it's not for them. It's like, you are never going to create a show that every single person in the world is going to listen to. And, and to your point, Rogan been doing it for God knows how many years. Yeah. He's, he's also a celebrity outside of podcasting. <laughs> yeah. Comparing yourself to him time. is the dumbest thing you could ever possibly do. It's like, yeah. keep yeah. it all like, just keep it in your sphere. It's like, set your goal it's like yeah you want to reach for a goal but it's like, if you don't hit it like don't delete the show it's like you're, you're gonna keep like growing it it's like yeah i always get the question like oh like you know how many listeners do you and frank get it's like well like you know i'll, I'll tell them it's like but do like you don't like, just just do what you want if you want to do a podcast do a podcast just just start it yeah just well, hit record, you do you know like figure yeah. out who you want to talk to what you want to talk about and that's it it's like literally all you need i mean like i mm-hmm. wish i did a little bit more planning when i started mine because i think i would be a little bit further ahead and maybe I am now, but I just was like the opposite. Like I just like hit record and we'll figure it out as we go. Um, and it's like morphed quite a bit over the you know duration of the show. But like it's yeah. same thing with like you guys, like trying different things, like see what works, throw stuff against the wall. If it sticks, cool. If it doesn't, whatever, like you go do something else. Um, you know, so like that's the thing. I mean, especially when you talk about like shows with number of listens, mm-hmm. like there could be like a, a show that maybe appeals to like a broad spectrum of people because it's a very broad topic but you could also take another show that's super like niche niche whatever yeah and, like all of a sudden you might only get 20 listens but those 20 listens are like super engaged like they're like hinging on every word that you say like i mean there's just different kinds of shows um like i had yeah. like somebody asked me that on a, a guy did a guest spot on a podcast the other day and i like almost felt uncomfortable like answering the question because i was like it doesn't really convey like how successful this show is or maybe how people see me in the podcasting world, but I don't care. You know, like, I mean, I, it is what it is. Like I get the numbers that I get and I'm happy with it. I just have fun doing it and talking to people. Like I, this is like, my same hour, way. you know, it's like having a beer, like we're sitting down having a beer, you know, I like just like talking for however yeah. long we're talking and, and we kind of go from there. And I have one last question, but building off that point, one last thing is that like, to me, what the most important thing is like, okay, Yes, like you can gauge your show's success off number of listens, but also it's like, what's like your core? Like, like me and Frank know that every week we can probably bank on like X number of people. Like, might get more, might get less, but like you, we can usually ballpark. Like, we have like, a, like I think knowing your core, it's like, damn, like there are like this many people out there who will listen to our show every single week. Like, that means more to me. Like, if we post one that pops off, like, yeah, obviously we're happy about it. But like, what's more important to me is that no matter what we post, if it's a shit interview, if it's me and Frank just talking for too long, it's not, not a great show. Yeah. If we just took and like bank on like our core fans to tune in, like that means way more to me than like him, that one, that, that, that one off big episode. Like, yeah, it's really cool. But like half of them aren't going to come back for the next one. You know, it's like, I think having that core is way, way cooler than having like the one off, like, okay, we get like 10 views one, one week and like, you know, a thousand one episode, but it's like up and down. That to me is like, 
you're kind of all over the place. I think having that core to me is really cool. Yeah. Like you want them to come back for that next episode. Exactly. Yeah. You, you want know, someone like, like every week, like, okay, Joe and Frank, when we listen to it, tune in. And it's like, but yeah, yeah, to your point, it's like, I think that's really cool to establish your bases and like, and appreciate that core. It's like, Hey, we can bank on like, we know probably half of them. Some are probably strange, but it's really cool knowing that, okay, every week we have like this many people every week. That to me is really cool. Yeah. Because you know what it says, right? Like, because I mean, you guys have cool guests on the show, like way cooler mm-hmm. than me, but like they come back because you guys are here doing your thing, you know? So they, right. they come back for you. The people that I have, they're like my core come back for me because they like how I, right. like, they like the guests that I have. They like my style of conversation with these people and all that kind of stuff. Like they can give a shit if it's like a really famous person or not. They just right. know that the interview is going to be good. And I'm not having this person on just because like I, I, there's a reason why they have something good to offer. They're going to have a personality. They're going to, you know, hold a good conversation and we're going to have some fun over the time that we have that, that talk, you know? So like that means that you guys are doing a really good thing because you have people that come back for you. Amen. I guess my last, like, you kind of already, you kind of already mentioned it, but my last, like, I guess, like, serious question is, like, what's, what's one thing you would tell yourself, like, now going back to like episode one, you're about to push record, like, what's one thing you would tell yourself now going back to your shoes back then, uh, with the, with the pod? Mm, that's a tough one because there's so many, honestly. Uh, but <laughs> you mentioned planning. I, I, it's, probably, it's probably a big yeah. one. Too. Yeah, planning is definitely a big one because I, like, I do wish that maybe like I had put a little bit more time and effort into actually like like structuring the show and yeah. i don't mean structure as like a script i just mean like who i like my audience like who i was going to target as like my mm-hmm. audience eventually i figured it out because i'm looking at the demographics of who listens to the show but at the same time like i wish like, i tried to figure that out first um but i do think that there's something to be said about like and i think that you guys seem like you did it from the very beginning and it took me a while to figure it out but just like being who you are You know what I mean? Like anybody can listen to a show and like go on clubhouse and talk to other podcasters and you like instantly can tell who's full of it and who's Mm -hmm. like an authentic person. And I don't mean authentic. Like you have to be, you know, talking like me with like your hands going all over the different place and like, you know, talking fast or, you know, really excited or whatever. I mean, like there's different types of authenticity, but I was, I wanted my show or I thought I needed to have my show be very professional and very structured at the very beginning and I do think that that was a good way to kind of get me started because I didn't know how to conduct an interview or a conversation mm-hmm. when I did start. And that's just why I needed the script as a crutch and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I just like look back at those videos and I'm wearing like a suit jacket with like a button down shirt. I mean, granted <laughs> I'm wearing like shorts or sweatpants underneath, but <laughs> yeah. you know, like I was still, I wanted it to be like very like straight up. And then um, I just had more fun. I have more fun doing it the way that I do it now, you know, like just, like I don't like I told you guys before like I don't prepare questions before I do an interview I just kind of have an idea in my head of like what I want to talk about and then I just go for it um you know and like I think that once I started kind of being like comfortable with myself in that environment and knowing like I do this for work like I take people out for lunch all the time and have to talk to them for an hour you can't be sitting there like staring at a client like you know like this like they're not gonna give you anything you know and it was like Mm -hmm. the same thing from coaching like when I was coaching, I needed to be able to communicate with people and talk to them on a variety of subjects. And you never know like what's going to happen because, you know, if you're in a game or in a practice and all of a sudden something happens, you need to be able to like adapt and answer something like have an answer for you, you know? So I think once I able to, was able to like realize like, Hey, you can do this like on your own, like just, just be yourself. And like, that was like the most important thing I think I would say is just leaning into my personality from the get-go would have been great. Um, but you know, it's like the same thing we were talking about at the beginning of the show. Like 
you know, the decisions you make at the beginning kind of affect where you are now. And here we are, and I'm having fun doing it. Love it. For sure. You live and you learn. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Quick hit around, JoJo. I only Let's have I, I I have one that it's, I'm trying to, I'm gonna break your balls, Frank. But I'll go I'll go last. That's gonna be pretty funny, I think. I hope it's gonna be funny. I'll, 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 I'll let you I'll let you shoot a few off. I'm I can now. I can only wonder what what it could possibly be. <laughs> hilarious, Joe. Um, <laughs> all right. What one thing you miss the most about coaching? Uh, just the camaraderie of like people that are like minded like me. You know, like we're all pulling on the same end. We're all part of a, a team, a baseball team. We're all, that's like something we're all interested in. And just being around that, I think is something that I miss. Guys being dudes. Yeah, guys being dudes. Guys being dudes. Know, like, yeah, <laughs> like there's there's nothing better than just like going out it's, into a field. When and, it works, it's the it's the most fun thing ever. Yeah, seriously. Keep going, Frank. I'm, I'm going to, I have one. I want to stash my good one to the end. You can keep, you can keep. All right. Okay. Um, thoughts on the yanks this year you're a big yankees fan mm, so yeah joey and i are as well we probably have an unreasonable bias when we bring when we do our big four breakdown and baseball is like because we just for a while before they resigned Gigi LeMahieu, it was just like us ranting and then before that it was like are they actually gonna play yada 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 anyway you're a big yankees fan too want to get your thoughts on the upcoming season I know a bunch of moves were were made behind the scenes and the resigning of dj but yeah love your take um, I don't know. I could probably do this more like way longer than just a quit. Yeah. Quick, hit, quick hitters. Is that whatever they're called? Uh, yes. Yeah. So th- this would probably be like an answer that could go on for forever, but like, this is my thing. And, I, and I'm going to flip a question back to you guys. Like they have a lot of talent, but do you think that there's a lot of winners on that team? And when I say winners, I mean, guys that are like going to get the job done when like the chips are down. So I don't think so, but y'all, so you- I really, I thought, I really thought that Judge had that mentality. I think he, I think he can. I just think he's been so beaten down with like just ALCS, ALDS, ALCS, like injury, injury, injury. I feel like he, like he was supposed to be like that guy who like was like Jeter esque in like that regard of like being the quote unquote captain. But I, I feel like just so much like injury and failure has almost like beaten his spirit down. I think he's he's still an amazing player, and I yeah. love Judge. But I feel like. If he isn't the guy, I don't see anybody else in that clubhouse. So it's like <laughs> Lemayhew is a is a machine. He, I think he's probably him and Trout are probably the two like best pure hitters in baseball. Yeah. But Lemayhew is not going to rah rah rally the team to win a World Series. He's going to do right. it on the field. But he he's, the he's also the guy that you want. Yeah, he's the guy that you want at the at at the sure. bat. Right. Oh, hundred percent right. at the at the bat. What the hell? Am but I, I felt like Judge had to be that guy to carry that 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 again. Like he's, I'm, I don't want to compare him to Jeter. It's very unfair, but he had to be like that Jeter kind of like Jeter like player, like in the clubhouse to get the guys going. And I don't know if he has it. Like he's, he's getting older. He's not old, but he's going to get up there in a couple of years, go almost 30. It's like, I don't know. I'm starting to get nervous in that regard of like, can these guys like win the big game? Yeah. What about you? I, I am starting to get I nervous. I, I'm, that's a great question because that, that, that is a very fine line of like, damn, this team looks good on paper. They play very well up until this point, and they can't get past it. Yeah. And I think on the offensive side of the ball, absolutely. Like, LeMahieu's your guy on the field, but is there a guy in the locker room? And then especially on the pitching side of the baseball, like, back in that World Series year when they had, like, CC and company, like, there were dudes that, like, had that Tom Brady-esque feel. Like, you're going to show up every day, and you're going to be locked in because you know that – That whole infield, bro. A-Rod, Jeter, Cano, Teixeira, and CC on the ace. Like, those guys were going to – 
eat your heart out to win a baseball yes. game <laughs> on both sides of the ball, but especially the pitching that they, they haven't had like those people that can say, all right, let's like wake the hell up. Like, here's what it's like to win. This is what it's going to take. And if you're not going to get to that level, like we're all, we're all accountable for this. So yeah. Um, that's a great question to throw back on us. Cause it's, I yeah. think that's what it is. I literally think that's what it is. Well, but yeah. I, I mean like, yeah, I think, I think the AL this year, I think the AL is very much up for grabs. So we, they can do yeah. it. They, they just, they, they have to do it this year. Like, I think they have to do it. Right. I mean, like I, I like some of the moves they made, but like kind of like what you were saying with the, like the 2019, like you have CC as an ace and he's a dude, right. They bring in AJ Burnett. He's also a dude, but then you also have a, uh, Andy Pettit who like, was well beyond the prime of his career, but they're getting into a a world series where Andy Pettit has to pitch in a game six or whatever it was against Cliff Lee, who at the time was like ridiculous. He was the guy. He was the dude, you know, I Mm -hmm. mean, like they had Halliday and all those other guys, but like Cliff Lee was nails. Right. Yep. And then Andy Pettit pitches against him and he like the Yankees win that game. You know what I mean? But like, that's like the difference. Cause like, you know, he's not Andy Pettit was not the Andy Pettit of like 1998, but he can still get the job done when it, when it, when it matters. And I think that like, for me with the Yankees right now, it's like a team that has like boatloads of talent, like, you know, uh, Glaber and judge and mm-hmm. Stanton and all these guys. But like, I mean, you just watch, like, I mean, just in the, what was the ALs, uh, CS? No, I'm thinking maybe what was the year where they had Edwin on Encarnacion and, and that was last year. It was two years. That was two, two years, years ago, ago. when yeah, they lost getting... in the walk-off to uh, Altuve. Altuve. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. But like you watch that season, like, or that series, like the series before, I mean, like they just beat the hell out of the twins. Like they always do. And then they mm-hmm. get into a situation where now they have to face Garrett Cole and Verlander and Greinke and all these guys. And like, literally they couldn't hit water if they fell out of a boat. I mean, it was embarrassing. Like they're major league hitters and they were, they look terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then you fast forward to this year and there was like, it just seemed like it was like a lot of the same stuff. Like this year, this 2020 year was a year that the Yankees should have just ran train on the American league East. Yeah, I, I agree. And they didn't, you know, and like they had some bumps in the road and that's going to happen in a, in a major league season, but in a 60 game season, it can't. Um, I like Garrett Cole. I mean, I know that he had like some, you know, hiccups there in the middle of the season, but I do think you saw a lot at the end of the year when he, you know, like the game that he pitched against the Rays um, was awesome. And I actually, like I said it on an episode that we recorded before that game and that posted after that game, people were like, what do you, what do you think is going to happen tonight? And I said, I mean, I, I, it's, it's, you could check the tape, check the tape. <laughs> I can said it on the morning spotlight. I said, Garrett Cole is going to pitch his ass off and he's going to do really well, but the Yankees aren't going to be able to score any runs. And sure enough, that's what happened. And I just think you have like so many guys in that lineup that are exactly the same, like mm-hmm. judge Stanton, uh, even like, um, Boy, yeah. Boy, Gary, Stan, or, I already said Sanchez. I mean, like, I mean, don't get me started on Gary Sanchez, but, um, <laughs> you know, like all those guys are like the exact same hitter. Like, yes. you know, I mean, I just don't, I don't understand. Like, I mean, granted they have, an analytics department that knows more about baseball than I can ever dream of knowing. Um, and they know how to put together a team because they win a hundred games a year. But I mean, I do think that there's something to be said for being able to put guys out there. Like, you know, I mean, some, like some of those guys from the Rays this past year, like you have no idea who they are, but they're just able to put themselves in the right position. Most of the time, not with Blake Snell, but most of the time with, you know, in positions to be successful, you know, and like just kind of rolling out the same lineup, be like, here we go again. Here we go again. I mean, like if, yeah. If uh, Higgis Shakioka, Higgy, yeah, yeah. you know, like, and he's playing over <laughs> Gary Sanchez, and that, like, that's what you're doing in an ALCS, like, do or that die problems. game. That's a problem, you know, mm-hmm. like, that, that, that means you need to go back and kind of figure out, like, how did we get ourselves into this situation and what could we do better? 
Um, so I'm interested to kind of see how they do this year. I mean, I like, you know, the, the move for um, uh, Kluber. I mean, I think that's like a, a huge upside move, like very low risk. Um, Tyon should be good from Pittsburgh. I like yeah, him. I like him too. Cause he's like yeah. a young guy and hopefully if he can kind of get back to form Pittsburgh guys. So he has that little connection to Cole, yeah. uh, you know, and like, there's some of the other stuff. I'm, didn't they just sign like Jay Bruce, like whatever. Yeah. I don't know about that. Yeah. Um, yeah we know, know, like, yeah, we can. Um, we, yeah, we, we can beat this team to a dead horse. So just, I don't know. Think, fingers crossed. Yeah. Fingers crossed for this team, dude. This it's right. got to it's got to happen this year. I don't, I've been very, I guess, like, I guess, pretty much anti Boone from the jump. It's just like the dude's got to go to the world. Has to at least go to the World Series. Or else I I want him gone. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that crazy point. though? Like the guy wins hundred games of the year, and people are just like, <laughs> this guy sucks. We got to get him. I, I know. Yeah. Oh, I I'm it's well aware of how dumb I sound. Just I just I want to go to the World Series. I don't care who's coaching. Just give me a guy who can go to the World Series. Yeah, but I, I do think you're right. I do think like if this isn't the year that that it happens, I think you need to take a really good hard look at like the Judge Glaber Sanchez you know group. I know. Be like who are we getting at? Who are we getting out of here? Because like this group doesn't win when we get to that that level they should but they just don't for whatever it'll reason. be a sad day yeah so then yeah. you just have to figure out like who's going to be the guy that goes you know and i i don't mm-hmm. know who it would be but we'll see we'll see i hope they get it done honestly like if they get yeah. to the world series we'll go yeah. together we'll do a show if, like from yankee stadium how about that hell hell yeah. Yeah. oh hell yeah hell yeah sitting in, sitting in billy sports bar yeah <laughs> right yeah yeah you got um, any more frank uh, I got one more, just the one we okay. always ask our, our, our guests that oh, yeah. had any experience living in Rochester. It's your go-to garbage plate. We need where you're getting the garbage plate from and then build us your your favorite plate. Wow, that's really hard because I haven't gotten a garbage plate in like forever. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and this is going to be so embarrassing because anybody that knows like where I'm where I'm headed is going to be like, this is not the right answer, but I'm just going to say what it is. So like after a lot of practices and, and stuff like that, we used to go to shooters after all those just to like get some beers and kind of break down like what happened at that practice, what we're going to do better the next practice, like all that kind of stuff. And I would get garbage plates from there just because like I was there like six days a week. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I think, so you have to remind me like, cause now I forget like, cause I was only there for a couple of years. It's like Mac salad, like home fry or French there. fry. Yeah, home fries, um, uh, red hots. Mm-hmm. I would do like a red hot and a patty, just because like I think I like to kind of like change there it up go. a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean that's definitely one thing that you know I did not explore well. Um, I was really exploring the Genesee Brew House quite a bit. Um, and, and probably cheers. a better option. <laughs> yeah, great. that's a great spot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like I can't wait to eventually go back up there and you know sit on the roof. Like that was like one of my favorite spots. Like you sit on the roof, you can look at the falls. You know, yeah. like have a couple beers. It, it was one of my favorite places to go. Yeah. So that, that's the first time we've heard we've heard shooters, but it's a good one. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if the garbage plate's good. I, like I said, I, I, I've never had one. I have nothing to compare it against. But in all honesty, it back. is really hard to screw one up. It's just like a matter of like. Is it like too greasy or is it good? It's like yeah, you just yeah. throw a bunch of shit in a plate or a, <laughs> it's, in a it's hard. And, it's hard yeah. to mess up. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, Joe. All right, my go la- ahead. My last one. I got. I got to break Frankie's balls here. Being that you were the pitching coach at St. John Fisher, I'm giving you three pitches in sequence to strike out Frank Carnavalli. What are you throwing? Wow, that's a good question. And not um, even really you. Just like if you had a guy in the mound, I'm like okay, Frank's yeah, at yeah. bat. I got three pitches. The K, this bum. What are you? What, what are you gonna throw? I know uh, in my head. I'm. I'm obviously gonna let you go, but I know yeah. in my head. 
I know damn well what I couldn't hit, but I just want to hear what your thoughts are. <laughs> so I'm going to say, and, and I could throw like just anything, right? So, oh, you got the whole, you got the full arsenal. Yeah, throw, throw a fork ball at him, throw anything you wanted him. <laughs> I think so. I wouldn't go anything hard early in the count, right? So it's got to be like maybe like breaking ball, breaking ball, fastball up, smell you later. Like, I think that's oh. what I would do. I definitely was looking him? for that. I definitely was looking for that fastball early on. Yeah, because I remember for like sure. a lot of guys on that team would get pissed off that they wouldn't get fastballs yes. and hitters counts. <laughs> and I'm like, they're trying to get you out, you idiot. You yes. know, like they're not going to just groovy a 2-0 fastball like just, just because you want to hit it like, a you know, 400 feet. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what I would say. I think I would go breaking ball, breaking ball, fastball, climb the ladder a little bit. And I don't think he can catch up to that. So Damn. Yeah. Because I well, – well, that that World Series here, especially, I think I hit between like Scotty and Malcolm. Yeah. So like, I was kind of like the like the table setter. Like, all right, if Scotty gets on, I'll do my best to hit him in. But if not, like, just get on base so Malcolm can hit a two run box. Big So, like, that. so like, I would get a lot of fastballs. <laughs> right. But if I got behind that, yeah, that's exactly it. Like, you threw me an early curveball. I was like, fuck. Like, yeah. Like <laughs> my away down and away. Like, smell you yeah. later. And I was thinking down fastball. and away. Yeah. yeah. But I was always looking like very fitting game. you're a Yankee fan because you can throw you can throw Stanton five billion sliders along yeah. the whale. He'll yeah. swing at all five million yeah. and not yeah. hit I'm one. Definitely, I definitely wasn't like to that extent, but like, no, I know. It's funny. Like, we were we were literally Yankee trained game, on like canes. yeah, we were literally trained like any fastball you see early in the count, swing. Yeah, just go. Just, like who works yeah, who works so. counts? That's <laughs> yeah. that's like a like a baby move. Like why why do that? Just get no. a fastball and just crush it. Like that's yeah. that's that's the way it is. So that's that's how I would get Frank out, and I think it would work probably like nine out of ten times. Ooh. All right. Dang, he's calling, you, he's calling you. He's calling you dumb because you wouldn't learn. They're gonna throw you breaking balls. <laughs> Just stubbornness, like yeah. Damn Come on, bro. <laughs> no, oh that's God. all I awesome, had. Awesome, man. Well, we appreciate your time. This is much longer than we expected. We always appreciate that was anytime fun, when someone goes over like a half hour, forty-five minutes. So yeah, happy to do. We it. know you're a busy guy, and this has been awesome. Yeah, we love the conversational piece of it. Hopefully, we we got you some additional listeners to the morning spotlight. Um. Fingers crossed. You're a hell of a personality, and we appreciate uh, having you on and, and wish you the best moving forward with, with the pod. Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate coming on. You know, like I appreciate you having me on the whole thing. And, you know, we'll, we'll do this a home and home thing. So I'll get you guys on the spotlight, you know, eventually and do appreciate like a little that. sports podcast. Sure. Maybe kick off the baseball season or something. Or yeah, something like that. we'll that'll be fun. We'll let the, the hot stove, the offseason kind of play itself out. And then we'll go do like a good hard look at like what the Yankees are actually going to do this year. And we'll Ooh. see if we're right. I like the, maybe we'll, I like the maybe we'll do that. a little like friendly wagers, something like that. See what happens. I think that would be a lot of fun. I'm game for it. We're awesome. in for it. Awesome. We're in for it. All right, Coach Ham. Oh, and a last thing too. Where can uh, where can the listeners find you at on socials for, for your podcast? Uh, so they can go to either the morningspotlight.com, which is where, you know, my website, which has my guest spots. So this will be on on the website as well. Um, they all the links to different podcasting platforms, like the morning spotlights on every podcasting platform, Apple, Google, Spotify, the whole thing um, on Instagram. I'm at the morning spotlight. Um, I'm on Twitter and that kind of stuff, but I don't really do a lot with there. Um, and then LinkedIn's always great too. I mean, like I, like I said, I do a lot of stuff on LinkedIn. So if you have a lot of professional listeners um, that do a lot of stuff on LinkedIn, I'm just Michael ham at on LinkedIn. So. And killing the TikTok game. 
trying i mean like i was just trying <laughs> like that's i think that's at the morning spotlight is tiktok yeah um but you know like why why not it's like i was saying before yeah. just throw stuff against the wall see what sticks sometimes they're fun i think i actually like the one that i did where i spin around the chair that i think good. that one that was like that was a good, good clean good clean spin you know and i think i don't want to see you ch- dancing though i don't want i want to see that no. shit no, no dancing, um, not getting up out of the chair, none of that kind of stuff. Uh, no. But yeah, no, it's fun, man. Awesome. Yeah. Good deal. All right. Well, we look forward to, to joining you on your podcast and talking baseball and sports, but you the man. We'll see you soon. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you big time. Thank you. All right. We'll see you. See ya. You are listening to the Sunday Sauce Podcast.